I'd like to uh, speak finally tonight in these meetings on uh, the same verse that I spoke on the first night, uh, and that is the verse to my right and to your left, John chapter 3 and verse 16. John 3 and verse 16, just these 25 words be my text for tonight, uh, and we'll go through them uh, and hopefully leave you uh, with knowledge um, that maybe you thought you knew the verse, but if you're not saved tonight... Um, you have not entered into the truth of this verse. Uh, these wonderful, majestic 25 words uh, found in John 3.16, coming from the lips of none other than Jesus Christ. We'll read them here. John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We'll read them one more time. For God so loved the world that he gave... His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to speak on this verse tonight because, um, you know, you run out of stories by the end of gospel meetings. After two weeks, I have no stories left. I have no personal stories. I don't have any good stories from the Internet. I couldn't Google anything. You run out of all the uh, wonderful things to say after two and a half weeks of meetings. You say, you know, like uh, you, you think of, of, I'll be working during the day. I'll think of just a, a unique way to say something. And you know, <laughs> maybe I, I, I won't, wouldn't make it if I had to speak longer than this. But you run out of things. But you know what? If you're ever to get saved, it's not going to be because of my stories. It's not going to be because of the way I put words together. It's going to be because of what God said. And so to leave you with these words tonight is enough to save you. It's enough to be saved. There was a man who came to the meeting last year, and he said, when you speak, and I usually speak on words, he said, you just, you just, the Christians love that verse, John 3, 16. They just, they just pull it out of the Bible, and they toss it around, and, and it's just as though they can just use it at will. You can use it at will, because the whole Bible, all 66 books, the, the whole Bible can be encapsulated in these 25 words. And ripping it out of context, not so. It's repeated here. John 3 and 15 says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3 16 says whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3 17 says for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. This is in context. This is the context of the Bible. This is the context of the words that God has given to man that he loved you and he gave his son that you don't have to perish, and that you can have life, because he has said it. As Matt has said last night, the first attack of the devil is, did God say, I stand before you tonight, and I say, God has said that he loved the world, that he gave his son, that you could believe it, and you wouldn't perish, but you have everlasting life. God has said that because it comes from the lips of Jesus Christ. I look at this verse tonight, and it is repeated twice, because John 3 and 15, it almost says the same thing. And one of our oldest books in the Bible, the book of Job says, God speaks once, and he speaks twice sometimes, and yet men don't listen. They don't perceive it. And to think that you could read back-to-back -back truths that tell us that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, you'd say, man, if God says something twice, it must be important. I think of Ephesians 2. Think how many people in this world are trying to earn their way to heaven. And two times over it says, by grace you are saved. By grace you are saved. It doesn't say it once. It says it twice. 
How many people in this life, you'd say, are, are depending on something good that they're going to do? Or they're going to depend on their righteousness? And then in Romans 3, it says, there are none righteous. And then it repeats it, not one. There are none that do good. And then it repeats it, not one. You say, God speaks twice sometimes. And in these verses here, I, I have chosen this chapter, I've chosen this verse uh, tonight because it's encapsulating of all that God has said, but it's repeated twice, John 3.15 and John 3.16, and that's what I want to speak on. It's unique when you look at the way they balance out, though. You know, the one, the first time it's mentioned in John 3 and 15, it says, says there that, that, that even so the Son of Man will be lifted up. He'll be lifted up. Whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the 3.16 says, that not now being lifted up, but that God would send someone down. That God would give to this world his son. And they almost, they go in opposite directions. I do that because earlier in John 3, it says this, that who has ascended, right? Jesus Christ as the son of man. He's the only one who has ascended into heaven. And he has descended, right? And he is in heaven. This is the son of man of whom we speak. I choose this, these alternating things, because sometimes we think about it, and sometimes maybe you're imbalanced because you're only looking at one half of it. You know, the son of man had to be lifted up on a cross because of my sins. My sins lifted him up on that cross. It was because of me. The Bible says I hated him without a cause. I hated him without a cause. I asked my audience tonight, if you never realized in your life of a hatred for Jesus Christ, then there's never a chance in your life to ever have a love for Jesus Christ. The Bible says they hated him without a cause and they lifted him up on a cross for my sins. But it contrasts that. And the Bible says that, that God loved the world. And it says he loved the world without a cause. Without a cause. And he gave his son. You'd say, it's just mirrored. I used, to, I used to always think to have no reason to love someone was a cheap love. Maybe you've thought about that too. I, I have less than 28 days to write marriage vows. And you know what you write in marriage vows? You tell the person all the reasons you love them. Maybe you have a significant other tonight. Maybe you could turn to them tonight. And you could say, these are all the reasons I love you. You know, I, I actually, a, a secret part of me that's very prideful is, is almost waiting for all the reasons why someone would love me. But to be honest with you, I would prefer to be loved without a cause. Because then I could never lose the love. It could never be taken away. If I'm loved for a reason, I could lose it. If God loves you for a reason tonight, you could lose that love. If God's bringing you home to heaven tonight because of something you've done, what happens when you stop doing it? What happens when it leaves you? What happens if you did it wrong? What happens if you don't have enough? And yet to know that I'm loved without a cause, I'm saved without a cause. Nothing in me, everything to do with his son. And so the Bible here tells us of one who was lifted up, that whosoever believeth, one that was given, that whosoever believeth. And it balances these truths. And I just want to speak on that, the whosoever tonight. I was, I was actually wondering, do I speak on the world or do I speak on the whosoever? You say they're the same thing, Dave. You could have spoken on either one. That's not true. God loved the world, every single one of us. You name the person, he loved them. We had a person last year at the tent too, who come up to Matt and I, and they said, we don't believe that. We don't believe that God loved the world. I said, does he love you? They said, yeah, he does. And I said, well, that's great. He thinks he loves you, but maybe it's just someone else. 
God loved the world, and it doesn't matter who you are tonight. It doesn't matter who come in this tent. I could still say that God loved them. But not everyone's going to heaven. Not everyone's going home. Tonight, there are people in hell and people in heaven. It could be said of them that God loved them. That God loved them. You say, there are whosoever's. Whosoever, here we read that believeth. There are whosoever's everywhere in this world. And yet here distinctly in John 3 and 16 and John 3 and 15, it's this whosoever, this nameless person that encapsulates everyone that could believe, that doesn't have to perish, but that could have eternal life. And so I just want to think on those three things tonight, that the whosoever who believes, the whosoever that does not perish, and the whosoever that has. It says here, it's the whosoever that believes in him. I, I take a look at that sometimes, and, and really, this is, why, this is why we preach. This is why we get up here. This is why, you know, you, you, you leave work a little early, you get here, and you want to preach the gospel because the simplicity of it is that a whosoever, anybody, whoever, that could believe this, that could believe this. I, I often look at scripture sometimes and, and, and just think of the things that are said. And you'd say, oh, that's tough to believe. I don't know if I could wrap my mind around that. But this could be believed. That whosoever believeth in him, that's Jesus Christ, a real man. I look sometimes at Calvary. And when I look at Calvary, it's, uh, it, it tells me something that, that it says, you know, there aren't different types of sinners. I, I, think, uh, I think maybe we think that there are different sinners, but no, it just says that it's, it's, a, it's a love for the world of sinners. Not only that, but it's that, it's, it's that a whosoever. It doesn't make any distinction. If, if, if there's a difference in sinners, then there's a difference in the love of God. You'd say no difference in sinners. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ said the greatest sinners were people who actually thought that they were, they were righteous themselves. They were better than other people. Anybody here? And maybe there's something in your heart that says, I'm going to heaven because I'm better than someone else. Because I've done more than someone else. There's got to be someone here tonight who thinks that. I could almost guarantee you there's someone in my audience tonight who thinks that they're going to get to heaven because they've done more than someone else. Because I've, 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 I've done this more, I've said more. I've, you know, sometimes even people think they've believed more. And all the while, if it all depends on the more you do, tell me, where does it end? Is it 10% you and 90% Jesus Christ? Is it 25% you and 75% Christ? My salvation tonight rests 100% on Jesus Christ, right here. You know, in the Bible, it tells me that the men, they ridiculed them. And some of them said, uh, save yourself, save yourself. Other, other men, actually five or six times they said, save yourself at the cross. And about five or six times they said, come down from the cross. Just come down, save yourself. And they said, we will believe. The whosoever that believes, we will believe if you came down or if you saved yourself. And yet when you come to John's gospel that we're reading from, you know, there's no mention. There's no mention at all of any insults being hurled. Instead, you have individuals who say, don't write, don't write that down. You have men who say, don't write that. And then you have other scripture. They say that the scriptures might be fulfilled and what was written could be believed. And you'd say, we come to John's gospel and that's what it is. Believing what is written, that whosoever could believe what is written down here, you'd say, and could be saved. It is the words of the cross. 
If you ever turn in your Bible to Romans 10, it says this, speaking about righteousness, this elusive thing that somehow none of us can wrap our minds around, but that we want. We want righteousness. We do. There's no one in my meeting tonight who would say, I don't want righteousness. I don't want what is good. And yet the Bible says to this, righteousness, one of the only time that it speaks, says righteousness speaks and says this, who's going to go up to heaven to get Christ? Or who's going to go down below to bring him back up? You see what it's saying? It's saying, who's gonna, who was good enough to get him to come down? Or, or who, you'd say, could actually go and, and get him out of the grave? It says, no, it doesn't say that. But what does it say, the Bible says? It says, the word of faith, the word that we preach, that the word that is near you, it's in your heart, it's on your lips, is this. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Salvation comes through belief. And this word, if it's not in this Bible, God didn't say it. I was almost going to say you'd get an amen from that. If it's not in this Bible, God didn't say it. Right? Do you believe that? Or are you believing something that some church council said? Are you believing something that some man told you? Are you believing something you heard in a hymn? Because if it's not in this Bible, God didn't say it. It's not true. The words that Christ said tonight are true. God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes. Whoever believes. It's the whoever will not perish. It's a truth tonight. It's a truth that perishing is possible. There are people who go to heaven because they have trusted in Jesus Christ. What his word said. That his word says is not only that Christ died, but that Christ died instead of me. That I could believe that and be saved. The Bible says that. It says no need to perish. This word perish. And you think the Lord Jesus could even say that too. He says, don't waste your time on things that are going to perish. But instead, he says, chase after those which things which are eternal. Eternal life. He says that in John 6 and 27. You'd say significant. That really this life, I always say I'm looking for non-perishables for my kitchen. And you say there's no such thing. Everything has an expiration date. Everything has a date in which it will depart. And perishing, we'd only use that when it's, a, when it's tragic. No one ever says that, uh, you know, so, such and such grandmother passed away and, and passed away peacefully, we say. We only use perish when it's tragic. It's when it was an accident. It was, it was a shipwreck. It's when, it was, it's when it was a car accident. It's when it was unexpected. We never use it, we never use it in terms that would, would somehow suggest that it just was a natural thing. There's nothing natural about perishing from this life when what is done, when has, what was needed to be done to save your soul has already been accomplished. It would be a tragic thing to leave these tent meetings. Some people have come multiple nights. Some people have, have come repeatedly. Some people have, have heard this message so many times. It would be a tragic thing to perish and to know, to know that you were loved by God and, and to say, I, I could almost be guaranteed of that because the Bible says it and, and, and to know that God gave his son and yet to perish because it, you, you never realized it was for you. It was never for me. It, it, was, it was always something else I needed to add to God's gift of his son. It was always something else that needed to be supplemented to Jesus Christ. And all the while, there it stood in front of me that God gave a solitary gift 
and he gave his son. And the Bible says here, shall not perish. Doesn't need to perish. You'd say, what a truth to know this, that it, it excludes no one. It's the whosoever doesn't need to perish, but have everlasting life. To have everlasting life. We said tonight, this verse, part of it occurs twice. We said that there are other things in the Bible that occur twice. And sometimes it seems to be that God does repeat all of a sudden these things that are so significant. You know, there are also words that only occur once. You'd say everlasting life, thank God, is not one of them. It's repeated over and over again. But as far as I know in my Bible, there's only ever one mention of a coffin. And yet everyone here one day will have to pick one out, Lord willing. And there's only one mention in my Bible of Calvary, and yet everybody here will one day be in heaven only because of what took place at Calvary. There's only one mention of eternity, and you could say you could spend eternity in heaven or hell, but it'll be because of Calvary. And you'd say these singular mentions, they have as much truth as what is repeated and what is mentioned over and over again, this eternal life, that we could have the life that God gives but to have life must mean that I was dead. To be saved must mean that I was lost. To be healed must mean that I was sick. And so the Bible says life. That's why he came, that we might have it, might have it more abundantly. To have life, and you'd say to, to know it and to be sure of it. And John, who wrote this verse, he, he, he ends his writings there, or he ends one of his books, and he says, I write these things unto you that you might know that you have eternal life, that you might know it now. That, that's, that's, that's such a wonderful thought. If, if you've belonged to any other institution or system that tells you you can only know once you're dead, you know what? Not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. God didn't say that. God tells me salvation is offered vast, full, and free through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, plus nothing. He says, I can know it in the seat I sit in. You say, oh, but Dave, if I got it today, I could lose it tomorrow. Not in the Bible. God never said that. In fact, if God gave you something, then he took it away, he'd no longer be God. God gives life. And because he gives it, there's nothing I could do to lose it because I didn't do anything to gain it to begin with. And here, in these 25 words, the one who hung the world on nothing we find him hanging on a cross. We find in these 25 words, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find them and they come all the way down to that very succinct little pronoun. Whosoever. Whosoever believes. Doesn't have to be the whosoever that perishes. But the whosoever who could have everlasting life. This is the gospel message. Uh, this is the gospel message and you'd say, we have repeated it. I don't know how many nights we spoke at. Probably we've only given 12 messages times 2, 24, 25 messages. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to be saved. And, you know, I, I never would have, would have thought that God would have chosen mere men, sinners really, to speak this message. But he has. And tonight, if Jesus Christ came down from heaven and stood before you and preached the same message... You know, the, the truth is, if you don't believe it coming from the Bible tonight, you wouldn't believe it if you saw him and it come from his lips. 
because we're quoting him tonight. We're quoting Jesus Christ. I, I, I assure you tonight that these are faithful words, just as these are faithful words. You can accept this just as you can accept this because it deals with God's son, the way, the truth, and the life. And these words, you could believe them tonight. No need to perish because Christ has died. He has died for you. It would be a terrible thing tonight to leave these meetings and to still wonder about your eternal security, where you'll be in heaven or hell, when these words are very simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Great to see everyone tonight. Uh, thanks for being with us on the last night of gospel meetings. Uh, I have three places we're going to read together tonight, and the first two are in the Old Testament, uh, and the first one is in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs in chapter 9. Proverbs 9 and verse 17. Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Chapter 10, just stay right with me here. We just read Proverbs 9, verse 17 and 18. We're just dropping into chapter 10. It continues. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son, maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. Now turn in your Bible over, if you can, to the book of Isaiah and chapter 53. Isaiah and chapter 53. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. If this is the first time you hear this chapter read, uh, Isaiah 53 and verse 6. Verse 6 is speaking about us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here is the person of the Lord Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now let's just last reading here in the book of John's gospel in chapter 3. John's gospel in chapter 3. And it is up on our board if you don't have a Bible with you. Jesus is speaking here in this verse. Dave has already spoken about it. Uh, and that's not my intent tonight, but I'm going to link a story to this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's all we're going to read. Tonight, uh, my intent was to 
take up the story of Zacchaeus. But I will mention one thing, because that's not where I'm going tonight. I will mention one thing. If you're to look at the book of Luke and chapter 19 and verse 1, you will see, and it says, and the Lord Jesus, or Jesus, it says, passed through Jericho. And I'd like to just suggest to you tonight that uh, when Jesus met Zacchaeus, he was passing through Jericho to meet Zacchaeus. And I would like to tell you tonight that there's a God in heaven who would love to pass through this particular tent tonight and meet with you this very evening. And he'd like you through the word of God and through faith to come to understand one truth. And it's this, is that we have sinned and Christ paid for those sins on a rugged cross. And he died and he was buried and he came right back to life. He rose again and he's alive tonight and you can place your faith and trust in him. Jesus is speaking these words to a man who would have been quite a wise man, a man who would have been filled with really good works in society. And Jesus is telling him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's interesting that just before coming to a meeting, our six-year-old son uh, said to me, in just six-year-old language, but he said, Dad, speak good tonight, he said. <laughs> and, uh, but then he said these words. He said, always remember, and he pointed his little finger. I trust he never forgets it either. He said, I always remember that in the beginning was the word. He said, the word is Christ at six. <laughs> in the beginning was the word. The word is with God. The word was God. John chapter one and verse one. And tonight I'd like to tell you a story how that God came and changed my personal life. How the God of heaven interceded, how he came into my life and he changed my life through his grace. And I saw for the first time at 22 years old, that Christ Jesus came into the world to die for my sins. Friend, tonight I'll tell you, uh, we're not speaking a gospel. We're not speaking from the word of God for you to believe something that I've said or something that Dave said or something that the particular church we're from said. We're asking you tonight to trust God and what he said through the word of God. I was a young man once, uh, well, of course I was, at 12 years old and my, uh, my cousin Andrew, who was 17, I was 12, and I was standing behind the pool and the sun was in my eyes, and I was holding a baseball mitt, and my cousin was a pitcher. Um, he almost went semi-pro. And he told me, he said, Matt, trust me. And I stood there. I said, Andrew, but I can't see the sun. It was in my eyes. And he threw that ball with everything he had and nailed me right in the forehead. You can see it. See? See the bump? It's still there. Over 20-something years ago. I trusted man. Man will fail. Man will fail you, but God has promised never to fail. And God's word says none shall pluck them from my hands. And when God promises a sinner that if they come to Christ solely through Christ, they come to him not adding anything of their own doing, but they come just the way they are and they trust that Jesus Christ died on a cross for their sins. God promised them eternal life. That's what Brother Dave was saying. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Not Christ plus your church. Not Christ plus your works. Not Christ plus your bank account. It says that Christ and him crucified, he died on a cross to set you free. So tonight I'm going to tell you, Dave mentioned uh, there's not too many stories, but I'm going to tell you a story tonight. And it's my own personal story. And it's a story about grace. It's a story about love for a sinner. It's a story about uh, faith, God's faithfulness, not my own. God's faithfulness in working with me. It's a story about mercy. And if I went right around the room tonight and I asked each person, how are you saved? And you said, I'm going to heaven because Christ died for my sins. Your story from Andrew to the back of the room would be a story about grace. It would be a story about God's love for you when you never deserved it. It would be a story about God's work through the person of Christ when you did no work to ever inherit or merit eternal life. 
And my story is the same exact story, except there's just a different situation. I come from a different background, perhaps, or a different part of life. So let me just tell you this. When I was a young man, I was born into a Christian home. I love the words that we sang together. We sang, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up memorizing scripture. I grew up listening to hymns. I grew up in a church just like this, praying and singing hymns and reading the Bible. And I had a mother who would read the Bible and pray with us, and uh, so much so that when the bus would show up to our home, uh, she would continue praying, and we'd be late for school. And she'd have to drive 15 or so miles just to drop us off at school. God was the most important thing in our home. The Bible was the most important thing in our home. And my parents were focused on us as young boys. I had a younger brother of us understanding scripture and understanding a truth that Christ died for our sins. They never wanted us to perish. They never wanted us to die outside of Christ. And I know tonight I'm speaking and there are parents here tonight. And they brought you here for the same reason. They don't want you to perish. They'd love for you to be home in heaven with them someday. They don't want that circle, that family circle, united through the blood of Christ, to ever be broken. Those were my parents. I tell you all that for this one reason. Psalm 1, Psalm 22, Proverbs 1, Proverbs 9, John 3, Romans 3, Romans 6, Romans 9. Those were chapters I memorized. But just because I knew that word of God, just because I could memorize it and quote it and spit it out, Isaiah chapter 53, it didn't mean, listen carefully, that I was going to heaven. Quite frankly, it didn't mean anything. I could just recite. I did not know Christ as my own personal savior. I had never been born again. I had never been converted. I had never been saved. My parents were saved out of a, uh, out of a religion that uh, would, would speak of works to get to heaven. And for years they studied under that particular religion. And then just in searching scripture, just on their own, not listening to man, just searching the word of God, they came to understand a truth like this in John chapter 3 and verse 36. He that, and there's a young man that understood that as well here, and he's here tonight. He that believeth on the Son, that's Christ, hath everlasting life. That alone. He that, broken in their sins, tired in their sins, has come to trust in the ever person. That's it. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And they came from death unto life. They came from living in their sins to free. They came from dead to alive through the person of Christ. And they left that. They understood that for by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast. That's from Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9, if you'd like to search it on your own. So that's what they were saved from. And then they, we had a, a small little assembly gathering, a small church gathering, and my younger brother and I were under this uh, church, and we're listening to scripture and uh, trying to memorize scripture as just young parents. But my parents' priority in our home was the God of heaven. My parents' priority in our home was understanding the word of God. But I was still born in sin. I still did not know Christ as my own personal savior. I still never had a time in my life I could go back to and look to that time where I rested in the finished work of Christ. My grandparents were, um, I wouldn't say uh, wicked, but um, the effects of sin had taken their place on them. My grandfather was a a golden glove boxer in the Navy. And uh, when he left the Navy, he turned to what I well, he turned to alcohol and different things like that. And he, there was never a day when he was sober. So I don't know what it's like personally to be able to go to a grandparent's home and to sit on their knee and to have them give me a hug and say, I love you. I don't understand what that's like. I've never had that experience. We were scared of our grandparents. 
We were forbidden to go to their home. The day that my, bro- my dad came to trust Christ, he went to his, his father, who is a very religious man. And actually, in society, he was known to be a good man. But our family knew he was a lot worse than that. And his father said, you come to me with the name of Christ on your lips as your Savior, and I'll take your life. He was a violent man. Actually, the only memory I remember of my grandfather is my, on my mom's side. And we called our grandparents Pepe and Meme. And uh, we went one time to their lake house up in Canada. And my, just for the youth here, I'll be careful, but uh, my Pepe, under the influence of alcohol, he lit a little fire as a little drunk man. And he tried to light my brother's hands on fire. That's all I remember. Violent people. Under sin. You say, how does that happen? It's sin. They came from good parents. They came from good families. But sin took over. And they became callous to sin. And broken in sin. And bound by sin. And it ruined homes. It ruined our homes. And I'll never forget showing up to a cathedral the day I heard my grandfather had passed away. It was actually the first time I saw my father cry as a young boy. He was crying because his dad was lost. And we showed up to that casket, and I'll never forget, a huge cathedral, hundreds of people. And the uh, individual, the leader of that church was, was praying and asking God to take my grandfather, who was a good man, he said, and someday just allow him into heaven. Friend, listen, if you perish, if you die the way you are, you're in either heaven above or you're in hell beneath. The Bible says that. The soul doesn't go on a shelf somewhere just to wait the mercy of God. It's not in Scripture. And I remember standing there looking at a body that was cold, and I wondered, where is he? Where is that man that was so abusive? Where is he? You know, if you never came to trust Christ, the Bible tells us where he is. And if by God's grace, on his deathbed, cirrhosis of the liver... My dad sharing the gospel with him right till the day he died, the day he died. If by God's grace that man came to trust Christ and all the abusive sins he committed and all the wickedness he committed to family members, by God's grace, if he trusted Christ, he's in heaven. Because God forgives sinners. God pays for sinners. Christ did that, and he did that on a cross. My grandmother, we always enjoyed her because she used to fly through town. My brother and I would sit in the back seat, just petrified, and she'd fly through town, and she'd always say, ah, oh, forget the cops. That's all she used to tell me. Forget the, don't worry. Just, and, uh, but I showed up to her funeral as well. You know, she's not coming back. Her soul, her being, is either in heaven or it's below. And I'll never forget that experience. Some say death is the loudest speaker. But even though death spoke in those particular circumstances, I continued on. In my walk, I was not saved. I could sing hymns. I could memorize scripture. I was not saved. And I went off to, uh, my parents didn't want us uh, playing any sports because sports happened to be when there was Bible study or sports happened to be when there was prayer meeting. And so my brother and I couldn't play sports. But when I went to high school, I was picked on a lot. And my freshman year, um, maybe it's because I'm short, uh, who knows. But they picked on me and um, I thought, that's it. I was quick. I could run. And I thought, I'm going to learn to play soccer and I'm going to really be good at it. I'm going to try my best. And so I did. I gave it everything I had. And uh, so freshman year, I was picked on. Sophomore year, I became the captain. And then junior, senior. And, but my parents said, okay, you can play soccer if it's not on Bible study night or on prayer meeting night. That was their focus. And so I continued to play. But as time grew on, and that's why I worry when I see young children who are still not saved. Because as time moves on, and the enemy starts to whisper and put the lull and his little spin, his little glitter ball of sin in front of your eyes. 
And maybe you start to become bitter towards the gospel or bitter towards a church seeing or bitter towards parents who want to share the gospel with you. And the enemy whispers, get saved, but get saved another night. And he takes you off into the world. And that's what he did to me. And I went off to school at University of Maine, Fort Kent. And I was studying biology. It was 20 minutes from my home. Every time I'd come home, my parents would say, can you come to gospel meeting? And I became more bitter. I remember thinking, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more to life than hearing the gospel. There's got to be more to life than church life. There's got to be more to life than reading the Bible. There's got to be more to life than singing hymns. There's got to be more to life than this Christian life. And I wanted to taste the world. And I left University of Maine, Fort Kent, and I went off to a school, University of Maine, Prescott. It was an hour away. And um, again, every time I come home on the weekends, my parents would say, can you come to gospel meeting? You know, I had friends who told me, they said, uh, they watched me progress. I wasn't into... Um, if you want to call a heavy sin, perhaps in my high school years, but it's when college where it's really started to hit. And I remember them telling me, Matt, you, something's happened, something's wrong. Because every Saturday, uh, you're either in a lot of trouble or you're behind bars. Something's wrong. It's not, this is not sustainable, this, this activity. This, every Saturday, there's something wrong in your life. And uh, that was an hour from home. It still wasn't far enough. So I got a job with a bank called MBA America Bank. And I went off to work for them while I was in school. They were in Camden, Maine. That's six hours from where I grew up. I grew up right on the border of Canada. And I met a young man there named Brad. And Brad uh, was a spoiled kid. Uh, he came from a lot of money, a lot more money than I ever came from or will ever come from. And uh, Brad said to me, I drove a motorcycle. I, I had a Mustang GT and I had a... A motorcycle it was a CBR 600. It was a racing bike, 160 miles an hour. Uh, I remember getting upset with my parents one time, and I came over the hill at least at 140, and the bike took off right off the ground. And I remember as I passed my home, my mom was on the side of the road, and she was crying. That's what sin does. Wicked, broken, callous. And um, he went, and he bought a motorcycle. They were going to transfer us down to Miami, Boca Raton, actually. And uh, they said, you guys can be managers there. You can manage your own division. And I said, Brad, you want to come? We're two single guys. Let's move to Miami. And he said, okay. And he went, and he bought a motorcycle just like mine. He didn't even have a license. Didn't even know where the key went. He just thought it was a cool bike. <laughs> and it was yellow and purple. That's all I remember. And the first week that we were there, we drove down to Miami together, pulling these things behind us. And the first week, his bike was stolen, and he was scared. He thought we were in a bad neighborhood. And he moved back to Maine. And I had money saved up in my account, and I thought, you know, I'll work for just a couple months, and I'm just going to pull out, and I'm just going to live in the world. And it was not good. And we'll save you from any of the stories. But I will tell you this. It was the darkest time in my life. And it was the saddest time in my life. Don't think that your sin will bring you any pleasure, because it brings brokenness. And the night after and the day after, and you continue saying, I'll never do whatever that was again. I'll never, I promise. And the devil has you by, his, by the hands here, and he keeps pulling and pulling you deeper and deeper. And so uh, through uh, an alteration or an altercation, sorry, with my younger brother, he came to visit and uh, we got into sort of a scuffle. Uh, I decided that something was wrong with me, and I was going to go back home to Maine and fix everything that was wrong with me. The devil will whisper that in your ear. You can fix everything. Read a book, maybe. It's 10-step, whatever the program is. Do something with your life, and you'll fix all of this. The only thing that can fix you, the only person that can fix you, is the God of heaven. That's it. And he will cleanse you, meaning he'll take away your sins, as far as the penalty of your sins. He'll remove them as far as the east is from the west. And he will make you a changed person. You're born again. You're born from above now. You're not born in your sin as you were before. 
And so I moved back home, and it was just a week or two, and I was with my parents, and it was constant Bible and constant gospel, and I thought, that's it, I've got to leave. And so I moved again. You're always trying to do something your way. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends there are are the ways of death. And I moved to Portland, Maine. And there in Portland, Maine, uh, living with uh, five guys, so you just use your imagination, five guys in a two-bedroom apartment. Doesn't make any sense. One of the uh, guys that I lived with, I dealt drugs as a full-time occupation. That's what he called it, an occupation. And the other guys, we all worked together at a company that rented cars in Paris and all over the world, really. And uh, one night, I was uh, headed on the cobblestone of Portland, and there's a gang there that uh, they decided to uh, place their hands on me. And uh, there was 18 of them, and they beat me up really bad. I had never been beaten up in my life, uh, but these guys, they did it. And uh, so I was walking on the street. I never fell for some reason. And I was walking on the street. And I looked like a ball you'd buy at Target that you'd drop the ball one way. And it had so many bumps on it. It would just bounce everywhere else. And that's what my face looked like. And a taxi car picked me up. And he said, this is free. I'm going to take you to the hospital because you need to see someone. And the man that uh, I met at the hospital, a doctor, he said, uh, I don't know if you believe in higher power. See, this is how God works. He's speaking all the time. And he's trying to grasp and get your attention. And this man said to me, uh, I don't know if you believe in a higher power, but there was a higher power watching you tonight because you really shouldn't be alive. And so I remember that really speaking to me. And um, there was a friend of mine who called me just a few weeks after that. And she said, hey, Matt, uh, why don't you come down to Florida State University in Tallahassee and uh, uh, you can uh, live with us. We have a big house and you can go back to school. You can finish your degree like you'd always planned on doing that. And I thought, that's it. Like I tried fixing my life in Miami. That didn't work. I went back to Maine. I tried fixing my life in Maine. That didn't work. I went to Portland, Maine. Tried fixing my life. That didn't work. Maybe if I go back to Florida, that'll work. And the enemy's lying the whole time. But God was in control. And uh, so I decided to do that. And I moved down to Tallahassee. And in two weeks, I was so sick of seeing sin that I couldn't even go out anymore with my friends. And so on a Saturday evening, August 19th, 2001, I was tired. I've said it here before. Uh, is there someone here tonight and you're tired of just being tired? You know what that means? You're just tired of in your sin. You're just tired. You're just broken. That's what Romans is saying. For when you're yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And on a Saturday night, I sat there and I pulled out a guitar case and I had this Guild guitar, acoustic guitar, and I, all under all the rock songs and everything else, all the junk that I had in there, there was one hymn, and I knew I could play it. It was only three chords, and it was Amazing Grace. And in a house all by myself, I started to play Amazing Grace. I would tell you that I'm not a good singer, but it sounded good in the room. And um, the first words say this, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now can see. And I realized for the first time in my life, I was not this saved person. Amazing grace, that, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was a wretch, but I was not saved. My parents were saved. The church that I was part, most of them in there, they were saved. They had come to Christ. I was not saved. There was something missing from this book. And I Kept singing the song, and the last words to that song go like this, and we're going to close with it tonight, and I trust that it speaks to your soul tonight. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, and it struck me, my parents saved and on their way to heaven in 10,000 years would be in heaven above, but where would I be? I ask you, friend, tonight, where would you be in 10,000 years? Because this room will not have the same souls occupying these chairs in 10,000 years if Christ has not returned. 
And I took a Bible that my dad had given me, a Ryrie, just like this one. But this is, a, this is another Ryrie, but Ryrie, King James Ryrie. And I said, what is it in this book that changed their life? And without any fancy words, I asked God, just like this, I said, God, if you can speak to me right now, I'm going to open the Bible, and whatever I read, you're speaking. And this is what I read, and I'll show you. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 17, and my eyes fall right here. Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. And it struck me that the sin that I perhaps thought was pleasant, her guests were in the depths of hell. And that's where I would be with my sins. I continued reading because the word of God came alive here. And the Proverbs of Solomon, the wisest man here, a wise son, he says, makes a glad father, but a foolish nun is the heaviness of his mother. And I'd broken my mom's heart so many different times. She's just a feeble lady, a very godly person. I'd broken her heart most of my life. And that struck me. I turned to Isaiah 53 because I had memorized it just as a young boy. And I read those words in Isaiah 53. I thought there has to be something. What is Isaiah 53 speaking about? But he's wounded for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. I thought, that's Christ. That's what he's speaking about. And I started to dive in. And it struck me in verse 10 that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And it struck me just like this, that when God looked down upon his son on the cross, it satisfied God. Satisfied. God satisfied. Are you satisfied? with the work of Christ. I turn to John chapter 3 and verse 16. I couldn't help myself. I had memorized that verse so often as a kid, 25 words. And I read those words just like this. I didn't have to read it twice. This is how I read it. For God so loved Matt. Right here. See? For God so loved the world. For God so loved Matt that he gave his only begotten son for Matt. That whosoever, that if Matt believes in him, Matt will not perish but Matt will have everlasting life. And as I was reading that, it just struck me that Jesus died on a cross and God gave his son to save my soul. And I trusted it. And I laid in that work for the first time as a broken sinner at midnight on August 19th, 2001. Do you know what happened? Is I, I was so struck by this truth. You know, when God speaks, God's not playing games. And God spoke that night. And I ran down the street, probably three or four miles. And I, young, you, those of you that are younger don't know what this is, but um, I went to a payphone. <laughs> There's payphones. <laughs> and uh, back then we used these. Dave has one actually in his house. <laughs> I don't know if it works, but he does have one. And I, so I went, it was probably two o'clock in the morning at that time. And I, you, you'd know who I probably called. I called my mom. The way a payphone phone works is this. You make the phone call. It's 1-800-COLLECT or something like that. And if I was calling Dave... Uh, Dave would hear my, my name on the other end. He'd hear Matt. And Dave would hear, do you accept the charges for Matt's call? Because Dave has to pay for the call. And so when I called my mom, I said, Matt. And uh, I heard it. Do you accept the charges for Matt? And she said, yes. And I said, hi, mom. And this, this, this is what my mom said to me. Uh, Matt, what have you done now? Because I called her a few different times. And I wasn't in a good place. And I was able to tell my mom that I was now saved. What I had done was nothing. It's what Christ had done. And he did that all for my sins. And now she wasn't a respected godly person in my life. She was my sister in Christ. And we spoke for over a couple hours on these collect calls. I never asked what their bill was, but it was the most beautiful conversation I've ever had with my mom. It was the day I came to trust Christ. The happiest day of my life. And God has come into our, our home and radically transformed our life. Married, kids, doing work at homeless. God will come into your life and change your life. It wouldn't imagine for a second 
For a second, I could never imagine, I know with this, that I'd be here with Dave speaking in the gospel. God comes in and he changes a life. He transforms a life. It's supernatural power. And it's the day that a sinner comes, just like I did, broken, wrecked by sin. Nothing to add, no, no polish. I came to him just the way I was. And I understood that truth that Dave read. For God's love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's you, believes in him, should not perish, will never perish, but have everlasting life. And I'm on my way to heaven. Not because of something someone told me. I wasn't with a preacher. I wasn't in a church when this happened. I was in a little dark room when this happened, and I was with the word of God. And I trusted it for all of eternity. Do you trust it? Let's pray.